Really excited. Hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day. And as promised, we are finishing up our section in the book of Matthew. And we're talking about building our house on the rock. What does it look like? We could really talk about this for a long, long time. But we've got some basic principles of what it means to center and put your foundation of your life in Jesus. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, May 18th, 2014. The, uh, we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Matthew. We took just a little bit of a break last week to celebrate Mother's Day as we looked at Isaiah 49. And Isaiah 49 reminded us of this. When it comes to God's love, even though a mother conceivably could forget about the child in their arms, God says, I will never forget you. In fact, he says, you're engraved on my hands. And I think that's a pretty powerful picture that God gives us to say, you are always remembered. I will always love you. And it's especially important if you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, because the Sermon on the Mount is 13 minutes straight of saying, this is what I expect of you. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And by the time you get to the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you start to think like, I don't even know if I'm Christian. So it's really good to go back once in a while and read passages where God says, I love you. Okay, we're in good shape. So today we're talking about building our life on the rock. And I promised with Mother's Day that we're going to have some application of what that means as a parent. And I know some of you are not parents, and you're going, uh-oh, like, are we going to hear this whole sermon on parenting? But there's other times, though, I have illustrations that have nothing to do with me as a parent, like um, when I talk about staying up past 930. Like you, as people without kids, you understand that. I don't understand that. So you just kind of tit for tat, you know, we kind of work together. It's not always just about you. So uh, build your life on the rock. We're going to spend a little time on this. We got to read it. And once in a while, you run into parts in Scripture that are really difficult. And if we, okay, way more than once in a while. But you run into this section, you're like, what exactly does this mean? In some of those sections, uh, like uh, the book of Revelation, there's a guy who said you have to read the Old Testament 30 times before you really understand Revelation. That's kind of a lot. And then you'd finally understand Revelation or the, the visions that Daniel has or some of these other parts in Scripture. You go, you know what? I don't, quite, I don't quite get that. I admit, there's plenty of places. I only preach on the parts I do get. So <laughs> we're going to just start right back over next year. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so there are some difficult parts, and there's some parts that are not that difficult. Uh, you determine where this fits. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Uh, the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash hard or difficult? Okay, I'm going to enlighten you. Here it comes. Are you ready? If you follow Jesus' words and actually do them, you're smart. If you don't, you're not. You're thinking like, is the sermon done? No, it's not. <laughs> this is really not that difficult, I don't think, is it? I mean, this is not like the tricky part when you, when you look at Scripture and you try and determine like, is this difficult? Um, I'm not sure I can understand this. This part is not that difficult because we've been hearing stuff like this our whole life, haven't we? How many of you are familiar with the story of the three little pigs? Right? You know the story of the three little pigs. Now, there's two different versions. I had the clean version when I was a kid. The pigs don't get eaten 
in my version. Apparently, there's one like the foolish pigs get eaten, but the one I heard as a kid is the one makes his house in straw, which is not very smart. Everybody knows that. And then the tricky part, because one builds his house out of wood, and how many of you grew up in a house that was made out of wood? You're like, is my dad foolish? I'm like, what is going on? And then the overachieving pig who builds it with stone. So then, of course, the, the wolf comes, and he tries to blow down the first house, and it blows down right. In the story I heard, the pig runs to safety. Then the next one is feeling awesome. You know, he's just hanging out, and he built it out of wood. And then this wolf with a VO2 max of like 800 blows down a wooden house, which is unbelievable. And then the story I heard, they go into safety, and then they just kind of taunt the wolf, right, in the stone and the, the brick house. And eventually, in the story I heard, there is some morbid end of it. The wolf is tricked, and he goes up, right, and he goes down the chimney right into the waiting cauldron of the pig, and they slap it on top, and they cook the wolf, and they eat him, which it seems pretty normal, right, because that's what pigs eat is wolves. So, I mean, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of questions involved in this, and what is the moral of this story? If you work hard, if you think ahead, if you put in the effort, your lazy friends will use you, right? That's, that's, I think that's the takeaway that you get from this. Well, how does this have to do with what Jesus is talking? I think there's a little bit different angle. In America, do you find um, people do not put much effort into having a good life? Or would you say most people really do try? This isn't a trick question. I think as Americans, most of us really try to have a pretty good life. We try to have joy. We try and have happiness. We try and have a good family. So I think that's like the structure. All of us are trying to put like a pretty good structure together. And what Jesus is asking you and what Jesus is asking the people is what are you building that structure on? Because we're all putting the same effort in. We're all working really hard. What are you going to build that on? Are you going to build it on a rock or are you going to build it on sand? So spend a little bit of time. For example... This is one commercial thing talking about our um, grow groups, for one, and also our, um, our mission statement. Mission statement, follow Jesus, live love. If our main goal as a church, as a group of believers, was just know as much about Jesus as you can, our sermons would be a lot different. You'd probably have a different pastor. But I mean, if our goal was just to fill your head up with like, okay, I need to know as much as I can about Jesus, we would do things differently. We wouldn't have grow groups. We'd have like a seminar format and we would try and teach you Bible passages, you'd know the kings of Israel, and you know which ones are good and which ones are bad. All the kings in Israel are bad, just so you know. So you would know these things, right? You'd know words like Gaius Maestaticum, cool theological words, tertium. You'd know all these things. The stuff that I had to sit through, you know why I went to seminary? So you didn't have to. Like, and I could say, this is what you need to know about the Bible. I heard a pastor say once, we don't need more doctrines. This guy could have probably used a few more doctrines, but this guy said, we don't need more doctrines. We need people who are living out their faith, which is determines how we do things. We don't say, like, know everything about Jesus. We say, follow Jesus. And we got a group of people that says, don't just know about love hypothetically. We want you to actually to live this love out. So we got grow groups that get together, and why do we do that? This is not the deepest Bible study you'll ever run into. You're not going to go out of there just like, was unbelievable. But you will go out there. This is what we pray. We will leave. You leave a grow group where we say, this is what God has to say. You say, you know what? I'm convicted on a lot of levels that I haven't lived like this, and I'm inspired by God to try and live my life differently. We probably, most of us in general, know what we're supposed to do, not just spiritually. You know what it looks like to eat, right? 
I know my tie is supposed to go a little bit longer, if you're wondering, right? It, normally, I have a jacket to hide it, so I've never retied my tie on a Sunday morning. It can be like this some weeks, you know. I look. If you want a knot the size of a cantaloupe, you have to have it short, so that's the deal. So I know better. I know what it looks like to eat better. I know what it's supposed to be like to exercise better. You know what it's like to have a decent family. The hard part is actually doing these things. And so what we're going to spend a little bit of time here, and this isn't just like um, the only way to do it, but if you want to build your life on a rock, if you want to build your life on something that matters, there's some effort involved, and there's something that you have to do, and that's what Jesus is getting at. So we're in um, Matthew, and we're talking about planning ahead. I think there's three things you can kind of do, just general principles. We could really talk about this forever, but there's three principles that I think are worthwhile. Uh, one, plan ahead. Two, be present. And three, look back. So what do I mean by that? Uh, plenty, if you're going to build something worthwhile, even Jesus says this in Luke 14, you might even know this section. If, suppose you're going to build a tower, because who doesn't build towers? I mean, like, so, so suppose you're going to build a tower, how does Jesus say it? This is what I want. Won't you sit down, estimate what it would take to build this tower, and then uh, determine if you've got enough money to do it? Like, if you're, you could just say it in, in like, Castle Rock terms. If you're going to rebuild your, uh, redo your basement, won't you sit down and figure out, like, how much money this is going to cost, and if you can actually finish it, so that you're not, like, halfway through it, and you don't even get the TV up yet, and your friends are like, when's the basement going to be done? You're like, well, I didn't know it cost that much money. And what would your friends be thinking? You should read the Bible more. I mean, Jesus even tells you this, right? This is, this is what you got to do. So planning ahead. And you don't have to freak out here because it says you got to get down to rock. You know how far bedrock was in the time of Israel? I read this a while ago. Like 20 feet. So do you have to dig down to rock bottom on every single thing you do? You're going to build a playhouse for your kid made out of cardboard. When your kids go, hey, Dad, can we make the washing machine boxes into a playhouse? Should you say, hold on, kids. Jesus tells us we got to get to bedrock. So it's going to be a while. Yeah, and you just go to your basement, and you start digging down. You're digging down, and then uh, I won't do it in my basement because you'd be like the little engine that could. So you maybe do this outside, and you dig down. Would you do that? When you go camping, do you dig down to bedrock before you lay the tent down? If you do, I never want to camp with you ever. Or you can set the tents up. That's fine. And just make this ravine where all the water catches and we drown. Um, but, but you don't want to do, always do that. You only do that when things matter. Right? When they went this road, they're building this road uh, on meadows. You know how much dirt they took out of there? Isn't that crazy? It looks like that dirt looks good. But something's wrong with the dirt. I don't know what it is. But they haul it out. They haul it out. They haul it out. And they haul new dirt in so that it packs because they want the road to last when it costs X number of million dollars. Philip S. Miller Park. Has anyone seen Philip S. Miller Park yet? That's going to be cool. $30 million. Did you know that? $30 million. It cost more than $5 million extra, and they had to cut things out of it because of soil problems. So they probably could have gone in and done it anyway, but then it would have been pretty embarrassing in like four years when the, like the football field looks like this. If you want something to last, you want it to be worthwhile, you've got to put the time in. When they built the Brooklyn Bridge, which is kind of a big deal, I think, they made like these giant wooden boxes at the time, which was really innovative. So the last bridge this guy, this bridge builder built, it, it was like knee deep, and they went down a little bit, and they're like, done. This one, they, had, they didn't know how deep they'd have to go, 45 feet into the sand, and they had to make these boxes because they don't have like the systems that we have. So they made these giant, humongous, sealed wooden boxes, and then they smashed them down as it went, and they would dig. Like over 20 people died 
in these terrible conditions because they had to pump air down there, so there's enough air down there. They had to pump water out of there, totally dangerous. The other one went down 78 feet. Why would they bother? Because if you got cars going across, it's kind of a big deal if this bridge is going to last. You don't need the galloping gurdy like we had in Washington that just blows up. You know, that's not what we want. We want this to last. Does your life matter enough to put in the work to get down to a base that means something? Do you want your life to last forever? Do you want your family to be built on something solid? If you don't think it's that big of a deal, you don't have to listen to Jesus. But if you say, you know what, my family is worth something, I'm worth something, I think it makes some sense. What do we mean by plan, at least my own mind? If you get one thing, I'll come back to it in a second. If you get one thing from the sermon, it would be this. Go home and make a picture of what your life under God should look like. Go home if you've got a family and, and just spend some time saying, under God, what do we want our family to look like? Because if you don't have a goal in mind, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Like, do you ever start like climbing a 14er and they're like, which one is it? And you're with your buddy and they're like, I don't know, it's one of those. Let's just start hiking. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not, no, we've got, we've got to make sure we know where we're going because this is going to be disappointing. You build a house, I mean, there's plans involved. You have a vision of what this looks like. The same thing is true with your family. I'll give you a couple examples. This is hardly, like, inspired from God, but a few years ago I sat down and Amy and I, as, I should have probably done this longer since our daughter is 13, um, but we did this a few years ago and I said, hey, this is how I see our family looking. Do you agree? Because that helps us make decisions. So I got 11 of them. I'm not putting them on the board because I was too lazy to type them in. Uh, our, we want a family that loves the Lord and studies his word. That was one, so I cheated. That's actually two. We want a family that prays together for each other and our neighbors. We want a family that enjoys lifetime sports like tennis and swimming and biking and skiing and hiking and camping, but enjoys team sports like baseball, basketball, football. We want a family that appreciates music and each has a chance to learn an instrument to proficiency. We want a family that cares about each other, our neighbors and extended family. We want a family that serves each other, the community and the church. We want a family that has fun together, enjoys traveling together, loves to read and learn, watches video and TV as a last resort, and knows what they're looking for in a spouse. That's not perfect. But if you got a picture of what your family should look like, if you had a picture of what you want your life under God to look like, what does it help you do? Make decisions. Make decisions. And it's not the ones of saying, what can I say yes to? It gives you permission to say no. Amy and I were in, um, I can't even think of it. We were at your wedding, Brooks. What's the name of that place? What's that? Jackson Hole, thanks. It was right there. So we want a family that remembers where they went on vacation. We should put through photos. So we were in Jackson Hole, and we went on this hike, and there's this, supposed to be this really cool deal, and I think it was a waterfall or something like that. We're really excited about it. Now, kids have limited, you know, stamina, so you got to kind of weigh this out. So we're hiking along, and like, um, like the dog in Up, we saw a trail, and it said, like, moose viewing trail, and it, it was called, like, moose pond or something. We're like, we haven't seen a moose yet, and moose are dangerous. This would be perfect, because we've got small kids. So we take this loop, and we're so excited. I'm reading it, and the guy, they're like, oh, yes, there's a legendary moose that is always there, so we're going to see this thing, and all the kids are excited. We do this loop. It takes like 30 minutes. Did we see a moose? No. You can see one in Larkspur, but you can't see one in Jackson Hall, right? So we, we hike and hike, and, the, and I just, 
and what's going through my head this whole time is I've got limited stamina on my kids, and we're getting towards the top, and they're getting more and more tired. I'm thinking, why did they waste my time on that loop? If you've got a goal in mind with your family in your own life, what does that allow you to do? It allows you to say no. There is all kinds of cool stuff available to you in this world. There's all kinds of cool stuff you can have your kids do. There's all kinds of things that I could put them in and parties to go to and events they can be in, but does it fit in with our ultimate goal where we want our family to be? And if it doesn't, we, you have permission and I have permission to say, you know what, that's not where we're going. We want to focus our efforts here. The uh, second thing is be present. And we're going to talk through a few just the simple principles. Um, be present. When you're building a house, obviously, you have to be there. What's the problem when you're getting ready to build this house or redo your basement? Is the vision of what it's looked like, is that, is that awful? That's awesome, actually. Like, you go through the home magazines, and you go to the home shows, and you get those ads in the mail, and you're like, oh, that would be fantastic. The, the part of, like, dreaming out what it's going to look like is really cool. Is it really fun to, in your finished basement to hang out? It should be. You know, this should be good. This is where the end result is. Maybe I'll switch it to mountain terms. If anyone inclined a uh, 14er. All right, we'll make this illustration. This is going to really hit home for both of you who have climbed 14ers. This is going to be awesome. All right, so when you climb 14ers, when you climb 14ers, you usually, unless it's like Mount Sherman, it's like at least six miles. Some of them are super long. Like if you do Pikes Peak, that's 13 miles up, 13 miles down. It's this long, long trip. And you start taking your kids on these. So I took the kids on at like four, which is, if you want to, do you think you're a motivational speaker? You need to take a four-year-old to climb a 14er. I mean, you, you got to tell stories, you got to trick them, you got to give cookies, you got to do all these things. So you're going along and you're hiking up this thing and you say, hey kids, we're going to be on top right there. That part's exciting. The kids can't wait because that's where the Oreos come out. And so they're really excited right up there. There it is. But from there to here is like seven, eight, nine miles. And anyone who has done this, the kids get really excited, and they, they shoot out of the blocks, and they start running, and they, you know, like, they're dancing, they're skipping. I'm like, no, 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 no. Slow, march, march. And they're like, hey, Dad, can we take a break? No. March, march, march. Dad, I need... March, march, march. And you got to drill, and you got to drill, and you drill. The worst part of climbing a 14er is the actual climbing part. It is awesome when you're on top and you think this is really cool. You're in the middle as a Christian in the climbing part. If you say, I want to build my life on the rock of Jesus, how do you think the guy felt if he, if he really went down 20 feet? You know, the, you have these two houses. This guy whips his up on sand and the other guy is just digging his hole. He's drinking margaritas while you're just like digging your hole still. He's just hanging out and he's living in his house and it's fantastic digging and digging and digging. Is it worth the effort? Yes. And a couple things that I want you to do when you talk about your kids. Consistency over zeal. Um, how many people know people who are a huge sports fan for a particular team? Like kind of on the crazy end of things. Like their horn when they hit it is this team fight song. You know, this flies for a while with little kids. They think this is the coolest. And then they realize their dad's a dork. And they're like, what has happened? You know, and, th- and this is kind of embarrassing. So this is mostly for you who have teenagers. When it comes to your relationship with God, your kids need consistency. Because there's going to come to a time, they might think it's really cool to hold hands and pray at the restaurant, but there's going to come a time they're embarrassed. And, it, and that's not the worst thing in the world. Every Facebook post you make does not have to be about how much you love Jesus. What your kids need is the work part of it. Because it is work. 
to go to church every week. It is work to open up your Bible and to read devotions. This isn't easy. This is the work part of it. It's work on Sundays when we want to do confession with our kids. And every time I'm sitting on the couch with Amy and we're just relaxing, she says, you're going to put the kids to bed. I said, yeah. It is work. You would just love to just sit and do nothing. Like the guy digging and drinking over here, hanging out while he sees the other guy digging this pit, thinking like, why are you wasting your time? You know why you're spending your time to do this. Give your kids zeal. Uh, give your kids consistency over zeal. Second thing, make it easy to respect authority. If you don't respect authority, how do you expect your kids to respect the authority that you have over them? And what I mean by zeal is God does not talk a lot about raising kids, but there's a few things he says. One of the passages he says is, fathers do not exasperate your children. And I think that fits into the consistency aspect of it. I'm not saying you have to be super strict or not strict. It doesn't matter that much to me. But what you do have to decide is, here's how we're going to parent. This is what we're about, and we're going to do it every single time. And our kids are going to know when they wake up in the morning what kind of mom or dad they're going to get. They're going to know at night what kind of mom or dad they have. And it's not going to be something that waffles up and down, up and down, and up and down. Instead, give your kids... How did that turn on me? Give your kids that and this. This is the last one that we could talk a whole long time about. Value character over performance. Each of you have given, have a child that has certain abilities. And there's going to come a day when that child realizes they're not the smartest or the fastest in their particular. For some kids, that's like kindergarten. For some of us, like we got to kindergarten, other kids are reading, and you're like, how did this happen? And you're going to pick that out. Some of your kids are really smart, and they're really talented, and they're really good at sports and things like that. And you're saying, like, this is really good. We've got to encourage this. Or uh, and you encourage them in school, and you encourage them in all these things. There comes a point where they're not really the best. And when that point comes, you want a child who understands character, or do you want a child that says, my value is in my performance? If your child is good enough to go play in the major leagues, if your child is good enough to be a valedictorian and get a scholarship, that's fantastic. But at the, the center of it and what it's built on, do you want a child that says, I know what it means to be honest. I know what it means to, to work hard. I know what it means to do my best, whatever that is. I'll tell you a story, and I don't know if it applies. You think that probably every week. Um, so Owen, is, uh, he's in lacrosse. So he's six years old, and I've, his friends are playing lacrosse, so we put him in lacrosse. And he practices, I mean, at least once a month. Uh, in the backyard with me, and my dad would never play catch. I've told you this. I'm not, like, whining. My dad, um, we had boys. We had four boys, and uh, all of us played through high school, and some of us played in college in various sports. My dad played catch, like, four times. But, so I would love to play with Owen. I'm like, hey, want to play catch some dude? Doodler, want to go do a little lacrosse? I bought my own stick, you know. I'm like, he's like, no. Okay. Hey, dude, you want to do something catchy? No. So Owen goes to lacrosse, and and he goes to the practice, and he says, Dad, my stomach hurts. i got to go home. All right, so this is like torn between me because I'm like, I want to kick him in the pants and say, listen, toughen up and go practice. But he did tell me he's sick and he can't practice. So I'm like, okay, if you're actually sick, we're going to go home and you're going right to bed. He goes, yeah, bad stomach ache. So we get in the car. We're driving, and uh, I say, Owen, uh, sorry you're feeling sick. That stinks. Um, How's practice? And he's like, well, it's really hard because the other boys are better than I am. And I said, well, why do you think they're better? And he's like, well, they, they practice a lot. And so we have this long talk. It's like Gene Hackman, inspirational speech, saying, like, this is why you practice. 
because it's not about the other boys. Can you get just a little bit better? You know, and like, and I, I'm picturing myself getting pumped up, and you can imagine the result. Owen says, Dad, can we turn around? And I say, no, because I take you at your word, and when you say you're too sick to practice, you're too sick to practice, and you got to go home and go to bed. Of course, his stomach suddenly felt better. I don't know how that was. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. So he gets home, and uh, we put him to bed, and he's, he's like, Dad, how about the couch? He's a negotiator if you've ever met him. And I'm like, nope, left to bed. But am I saying this is a perfect story? No. But did I tell my kid, your performance is a big deal, but really what I want is an honest kid who tells the truth to his dad. I want a kid that works hard. And now, believe it or not, he's actually better about going to practice because I said, Owen, oh, it's not about the other boys. They might be better for you forever, but can you get just a little bit better and a little bit better? So now we talk before games, and like, what are you going to work on this week? I'm going to get down for scoops. I'm like, do it. You know, the other kids are whipping these NFL-type goals or something, and he's just working on his scoops. Owen will never listen to this sermon, so that's good. <laughs> Last thing, we could, again, talk about this all over, but the, give your kids consistency over zeal, because I know this is work, and there's all kinds of flash-in-the-pan exciting things. Give your kids um, an authority that they can respect and give your kids something that says, I respect your, and and I'm pushing character more than performance. The last thing is um, take a look back. Take a moment in your own life and take a moment as you raise your kids just to take a look back. The best moments ever when you're you're going through the worst part of these 14ers and you're climbing up is when you look back and you can't believe how far you've hiked. And you're like, okay, we're actually getting somewhere. You get 936 weeks with your kids from birth until 18. And a lot of it is so much work, and it's so hard, and you're, you're going, and you're going, and you're going, and you're tired. Take a moment to take a look back and say, Lord, thank you for this life that you've given me, that you've given into my hands. Thank you for the time that you've given me. My oldest is now 13, so I have 260 weeks left. I think I did the math right, 260 weeks left. And suddenly, which seems so long, is just getting smaller and smaller. Take a moment at the end of the day to say, God, thank you for the day you've given me. There's a couple good things that happen from it and some bad things. What happens when you take a look at your day analytically at the end of the day? There's a lot of things you do differently. And if you did something to, to hurt your kid or you did something that you think, maybe I shouldn't have done that, take, right then go and talk to your kid because the best times to talk to your kids, there's only two spots where kids communicate. It's not at the kitchen table. It's at night when you're tucking them in, and the other is in the car. You're looking this way. They're looking this way. The kids just talk. I don't know if they can't, they're, like, nervous or something. They, they just talk. So talk to your kids in the car, and when you tuck them in, if you've done something to your kid and you're sorry about it, go take care of it that night because that sheds character. Second thing it says is it gives you a chance to say, Lord, I have not, I've been lazy. I've thought about myself, and I have not used the gifts you've given me. I'm sorry for that. And the third thing, the most important thing is you get to look back at a cross and you get to look back at a Jesus and you get to look back at a God that says, I do love you. And you get to look back and hear Jesus' words from the cross that say, it is finished, your sins are gone. Build your house on a rock. Is it worth it? I would say the people who built the Brooklyn Bridge would say, it's worth it. I would say the third pig would say, it's worth it, right? To put in the effort. And I think if you'd ever talk to any Christian parent who has made it through and has worked so hard to try and instill the best they can, I think they would say it's worth it. Your life is worth it. Your family is worth it. Build your house on the rock. Amen.